0: Good morning, my name is Alicia. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 53 through 68. Please follow along in your own Bibles or simply listen as the scriptures are read. Again, that's John 6, starting with verse 53. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. Parents and guardians of children in preschool and kindergarten, you are invited to escort your kids to the back of the room to join Kids Commons upstairs. As you are able, we invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, That is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Uh, My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Haverhill Commons. It's great to be worshiping with you here this morning as we open God's Word together. I also want to invite you into one more moment of pause for us to open ourselves to the Lord and have the Lord do what he has for us today. So please join me in a moment to open yourself and to be personally and physically and emotionally and mentally present here in this space this morning. So please join me. Lord, as we bring ourselves to you and present ourselves before you, we admit and we I think if we're honest with, with ourselves, we, we need nourishment and we know that we need you. So we pray this morning that you would satisfy our hunger and meet our needs. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus and in confidence that this is what he does for us and in us. Amen. So I really love learning. I like love understanding, learning, investigating new things, solving mysteries, understanding how things work. It's like one of the things that I think we all met love in this world. Which is really why I love this podcast called Unexplainable. There's a podcast, Unexplainable, and every episode of Unexplainable, they tackle a mystery in our world, and they try to discover and uncover how that thing works, like this mystery that's out there. One episode I listened to was about animal migration. So we know that animals migrate, they move from one location to another over the course of a year. What we don't know is how they know where to go. Exhibit A is the homing pigeon, the most famous example probably of migrating animals. They somehow know how to get back to their homes. You can actually knock a homing pigeon out with anesthesia and move it hundreds and hundreds of miles from its original home, wake it up, and it will know how to get back to its home. We do not know how they do this. For all of our knowledge, for all of our science and advancement, we don't actually know the definitive answer to how animals do this. There are all kinds of theories, specifically about the homing pigeon. Maybe they smell their way home on the wind. The wind has like a smell and they can find it. (laughs) Maybe they see their way home just using landmarks. Maybe they hear their way home using subsonic pulses that they can detect in their bodies. Or maybe they feel the earth's magnetic field in their cells and their whole body acts like a compass and directs them all the way home. Maybe it's a combination of all of those things, or maybe it's something that we haven't even considered yet, but they're trying to figure it out. But at the end of the day, they don't know how homing pigeons make it home. And each episode of Unexplainable is just like that. They get to a point where they're like, here's what the experts think, but beyond that, we don't know, which is wild, right? The world is full of all of these complex, mysterious things. And even though we know a lot, we don't really know how everything works. Humans have been unraveling these mysteries for as long as humans have been around, and we keep discovering deeper and deeper things, and we get further and further into the mysteries, and we realize that there are even more mysteries the further we go. Did you know that humans are the only creatures that cry and the only creatures that laugh? And we don't understand why we cry, what function crying serves in our bodies, or what function laughing has for us. We don't really know. Take any topic, quantum physics, dark matter, cryptocurrency. I've read I think a dozen articles about cryptocurrency and I still like really don't have any real idea what that cryptocurrency is. I know that it turned my $100 into $40, um, <laughs> which pretty much anybody could probably do, uh, which is disappointing. Um, but I don't fully understand what's going on with cryptocurrency. Explore any topic like this and we have ideas, right? We even have some really good theories, but there's always a limit there's always a place where we say we don't really know. So, what do we do when we hit that moment of we don't really know? Well, one option is to just keep digging, right? Study, research, experiment, explore, and eventually we will figure it out. That's the modern materialist mindset. We can and we will eventually solve all the mysteries. It is only a matter of time and technology and opportunity. Keep digging. Or, Give up, right? When it's really complicated and we can't figure it out, it can get so frustrating, so time-consuming, so discouraging that we just toss in the towel and walk away. Too hard. Cryptocurrency, right? So far, I'm only talking about, like, physical things that exist in our world. What about spiritual things? Do we have a soul? And what is that? What is it made of? Where did it come from? Where is it located in my body, or is is there evil in the world, and why is it there, and does it even exist? What is happening when we sit down and pray? When we pray to God, like, what is happening in us, in God, in the world? Or when we're baptized, or when we forgive each other, like, what is happening in these moments? And I think these are all great questions, and we should strive to ask them and to answer them and understand them, but all too often, we cannot completely figure this out. At some point, if we're honest, we end up with, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know isn't a super comforting answer. It doesn't put our minds at ease. It can leave us anxious and worried or even afraid. You've heard the expression down the rabbit hole? Yes? All right, so it's from The Matrix. No, it's from Lewis Carroll's 1865 classic, Alice in Wonderland, in the opening chapter of Alice in Wonderland, Alice follows the white rabbit into his burrow, into his rabbit hole, where she is transported into a strange and nonsensical world called Wonderland. And since the book came out, and we've sort of popularized the phrase, the phrase down the rabbit hole or going down the rabbit hole describes any journey that we take, right, that is magical or mysterious or challenging. And I just learned this morning that the Lunar New Year started, and this is the year of the rabbit in the Lunar New new Year. So talk about science and wonders, right? In John chapter 6, I think Jesus takes us down a pretty deep rabbit hole, and the further that Jesus goes, the more challenging it gets to comprehend what he's talking about, and it's not a real great feeling, to be honest with you. Like, it's confusing. Alicia just read for us the end of the chapter this morning, and that's the most complicated and confusing part, but Jesus doesn't go there right away. He actually starts earlier and just kind of peels back layers as he goes, which is what we're going to do this morning as well. For context on John chapter 6, I think it's important to remember what Katie preached on last week, the first opening of 15 verses of the chapter, where Jesus miraculously feeds this crowd of people. Anywhere from 5,000 to 20,000 people are there, and he feeds them all with just a few loaves of bread and a single fish. And the sign in that moment, in that first part of the chapter, the significance of providing bread for all the people is to demonstrate that Jesus is like a second Moses, but he's an even better Moses. He can actually provide people with food, and sustenance that was impossible for them to provide for themselves on their own. So that's the context of what's happening in the rest of the chapter, all of this talk on bread. So the people who enjoyed that free meal in the first part of the chapter have come back to Jesus on the second day, and they want more of that bread that they got from this guy yesterday, and they want more from the man who gave it to them, which sets the stage for what we're going to talk about in our verses I also want to point out that there's a pattern to this chapter. There's a rhythm to this chapter, and here's the pattern. Here's the rhythm. Jesus makes a statement about bread, and then people respond to that statement, and then Jesus is going to say something more about bread, and people are going to respond to that statement, and this cycle happens six times. Jesus says something, people respond. Jesus says something, people respond, and each time that Jesus says something about bread, he's taking us one step deeper and down into this rabbit hole, and it gets more mysterious and more confusing. And people's responses get more and more extreme to correspond to how bewildered and disoriented they feel. So that's the framework for this morning. We're going to go six steps into a rabbit hole. Step one, verse 26. Jesus tells the crowd, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous sign. So this is the first level. This is the first step. And Jesus in this first step is basically just at a literal level. The bread Jesus is talking about is physical bread. It's the kind you can pick up with your hand, and you can eat it, and it tastes good, and it provides your body with nutrients. All right, so literal level. Then Jesus is going to move one step beyond, and he goes sort of beyond the literal into this deeper symbolic meaning, verse 27. Don't be so concerned, he says, about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Bread is really good, but... Life is more than material things, which is pretty much in agreement with everyone that's ever thought about spiritual things in this world. So, that's the first movement. How do the people respond to Jesus' first dive down the rabbit hole? Verse 28, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? So, they're eager. They're like, all right, let's go. They're ready. They get it. They want to follow Jesus to this deeper spiritual level. He tells them then that the work of God is for them to believe in the one that he sent. That's the work. So you've eaten physical bread, now believe in the physical son. Okay? All right, let's go one step deeper. Step two, verse 33. Jesus says, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is saying here that there's another bread besides the bread that you just ate yesterday, and that bread's the true bread, and it's the kind of bread that only God can give. Okay, so what's their response? Verse 34. Sir, give us this bread every day. If anything, they're even more eager to get this special kind of bread, this true bread. You can hear echoes of what the Samaritan woman has said in John chapter 4, right, when Jesus talks about living water. She said, please, sir, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. They're saying, give us this bread, we want it. Where's the true bread? All right, so far, so good. There's the regular bread, then there's the true spiritual bread, and they are interested. They're ready. One step deeper. Step three, verse 35, Jesus replies to them, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never be hungry again and that's quite the revelation the true bread isn't a loaf of sourdough the true bread is a person and that person is Jesus the response that they have for him is less enthusiastic verse 41 Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I'm the bread of life that comes down from heaven. Jesus is the bread of life? Wait, isn't Jesus just a guy? Don't we know his dad, Joseph? Don't we know his mom, Mary? He comes down from heaven? He came from Nazareth. We know where that guy's from. The crowd is not so sure about this. So they get restless. There's grumbling. There's murmuring. Okay, deeper still. Step four verse 51. Jesus says, anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. Okay, (laughs) let's get this straight. The bread is his actual body, and he's going to offer it up, which is very sacrificial language. He's going to offer himself up like a sacrifice, and people are supposed to eat it. How's this going to land? Verse 52, their response. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. And the word arguing here is a very strong word in the Greek language. Basically, they're not just having a nice debate. They're getting emotional, and those emotions are bubbling over. Eating bread, fine. Eating bread that is the flesh of a person, not fine. That's weird. That's offensive. Picture people getting in each other's faces, right? Voices raised, fists clenched like... Fists are flying. Like these are fighting words here from Jesus. The crowd's upset. Okay, step five. Ready? Deeper still. Verse 53. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. His flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. Now, these are some of the most confusing and debated verses in all of Scripture. The whole notion of eating the flesh of Jesus. And drinking his blood is bizarre. Jewish law prohibited people from consuming the blood of any animal. Part of making meat kosher is removing all of the blood from the flesh of an animal before it's consumed. So even the suggestion that blood was to be consumed was shocking for a Jewish audience. And the suggestion that human flesh or human blood was to be consumed was universally taboo in the world. What in the world, Jesus So many Christians think that Jesus is making a reference here to the Eucharist, right? To the sacrament of communion when Christians consume the bread or wine and juice in remembrance of Christ's death and sacrifice for us. Various traditions have different thoughts about the degree to which those elements represent Christ's literal body, but connecting this moment in this passage in John 6 to communion is at least one way of maybe understanding what in the world Jesus is talking about here. Other Christians think Jesus is using flesh, the word flesh, in the way that it was used earlier in John chapter 1, verse 14, when, Jesus, when John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Maybe Jesus is talking about his incarnation, like his becoming human here. So when he says that people have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he's using eating imagery to talk about the deep connection that we have and can have with Jesus, that we can take Jesus into ourselves, Verse 56, Jesus says, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. And that word remains, we've seen in John, is such a powerful word. It means to abide and to stay with someone. It comes up frequently to talk about union with Christ. So maybe the language here is symbolic. It's referring to this deep union that we can have with Christ by consuming him. Maybe he's talking about communion. Maybe he's talking about sacrifice. Maybe he's talking about this deep connection and union Maybe he's talking about all of those things. Maybe he's talking about something else entirely. And if I'm just being honest, this is a place in the Bible where the best I can kind of do is I don't know exactly what Jesus means here. I don't really know what he's talking about, which is hard to admit because I spent three years and a lot of money in seminary studying the Bible, acquiring interpretive tools and doing the deep dives down these very rabbit holes that I'm talking about. And even with all of that, I still don't know for sure. Do you ever have that experience with Scripture? You read something, and you don't know for sure what it means. So you keep digging. You keep digging. You keep digging, and you start to wonder, is there something wrong with me because I don't understand this? And am I the only one who doesn't understand it, and then that makes me afraid to talk with anybody about it or bring it up? So I just hide my unease or maybe you start worrying that if you tug on that one confusing thread then maybe the whole thing will come unraveled right the one leg is a little wobbly and the whole chair starts to shake how many Jengas can you pull out before the whole tower just falls down and not knowing can be a really unsettling feeling for us maybe enough to give up on the whole thing entirely and just walk away I take solace in the realization that we are not alone and not really understanding. The things Jesus said in John chapter 6 were very confusing. The crowd that listened to him were very confused. The religious leaders that heard what he was saying, they were very confused and they did not understand. Even his disciples, verse 59, are struggling with this. This is very hard to understand. Who can accept it? His disciples say. All right. I said there are six rounds. We haven't got to the last one yet. Here it is, round six. One last, even deeper level. Verse 61. Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining, said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if the Son of Man, if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? Next verse, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort, the word here, human effort is actually flesh again. I think it's important to connect that link to earlier. Flesh accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And I read this last step down deep into this rabbit hole, and I think of all the confusion Jesus has created up to this point. And I think that what he says here is almost a little bit like a pressure release valve on the tension. It's almost like the passageway down the rabbit hole was getting narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower, and we're starting to feel like really claustrophobic in the process. And just when we feel like we can't take it anymore, the passageway opens up and we can breathe a little bit easier. Jesus is talking about spiritual nourishment. He's talking about flesh, for all that he's spoken about flesh, and blood so far, for whatever he means by that, he ends with this statement, but the Spirit alone gives eternal life. But most of the people who had come to see Jesus that day weren't around to hear that part. They had already left. Verse 66, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Many of the disciples left. Jesus And we get why they're leaving. This is a lot to take in. This is very confusing stuff. It is challenging. It is even offensive. Like we sympathize with their leaving. But all that we have left after this whole dive down this rabbit hole is the core, the 12, the original disciples, the ones who had left families, who had left homes, who had left jobs, who had left everything to follow this teacher. And so Jesus turns to these last remnants, these 12, and he asks them, are you also going to leave? Are you also going to leave like everyone else did? And I want to let that question sort of settle into our hearts. Are you also going to leave? Are you going to leave? And in this pause as we settle, I want to name a few things. First, it is hard to understand everything Jesus says. It is just hard to understand everything Jesus said. This is not the only head-scratcher that we're going to come across in Scripture. Jesus reveals deep complex truths that don't make sense to us all the time. That's the first thing. Second thing is understanding things is very important to us. It's one of the ways we establish some degree of control over our lives. If we know what's happening and why it's happening, it gives us security, and that security gives us a foundation and it allows us to function in this world, to solve problems, to move with confidence around us. And we need that stability in our lives. If we didn't have it, if every day was full of brand new experiences all the time, it would be totally overwhelming for us. It's like the first time you ride a really intense roller coaster, right? Part of the reason that it's so scary is that you don't know what to expect. You're terrified because you have no idea what's gonna happen. But the second time you ride the roller coaster, it's a little bit less scary because you know the twists and turns and like what's, what it's gonna feel like. You can relax and enjoy the experience if roller coasters are the kind of things that you enjoy. Stability is good for us. But it's also not the way that life actually works all the time, right? It doesn't just repeat itself over and over again with the same twists and turns all the time. We do face new things, things that we have never seen before, things we don't understand. You start a new job. You move to a new community. You start a new relationship. And those new things can be very unsettling and confusing and disorienting and hard. And it's the same thing with Jesus. If we say yes to Jesus, he's going to show us new things and teach us new ideas, and lead us on new and unfamiliar paths. So the disorientation that we feel is actually totally normal. Everyone who's ever followed Jesus is disoriented by the journey of following Jesus. It's not a sign that something's wrong. It's a sign that we're on the right track. So it's okay to feel unsettled by not knowing everything that Jesus is talking about. Third, we should not turn our brains off when we come to church. We should not turn our brains off when we walk through the church doors. Lord knows we have done way too much of that as Christians over the centuries. God gave us brains, right? Our curiosity, our desire to know, our desire to understand, to create systems, to categorize things, and to quantify them, these are all aspects of being created in the image of God. This is part of how God has made us. So we should ask questions. We should be curious. We should swim in the deep waters and probe and ponder and discuss and debate with each other unravel the mysteries, decipher the signs. We should try to figure out what this means. We can be curious, and I think our curiosity delights God when we try to discover. We can be curious. And we can also be honest. Honest about the fact that we have limits, that we don't know everything. We can be honest about that. I don't know. And we can be humble when we say that, and know that I'm not actually God in this situation. There are things that I cannot explain and there are things that I cannot control. So we can be curious and we can be honest and we can be humble. We can be all three of those things at the same time. And holding all three of those things, all three of those values, which are core values for us here at Haverhill Commons, curiosity, honesty, humility, holding all three of those things, we come back to our original question, which is Jesus asking the 12, are you going to also leave? Are you going to also leave? Here's what Peter said in answer and reply, speaking, I think, for all the 12. Verse 68 Lord, to whom would we go? Where else are we going to go? You have the words that give eternal life, and we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. No, Jesus, we're not going to leave, we're going to stay. Notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, Jesus, those other people, they don't get it, but we get it. We're with you. He isn't saying they have understanding. He isn't saying they have a special insight. He's not saying that they've solved the mystery. They're not staying because they know the answers. They're staying because they know Jesus. They trust Jesus. And trust isn't really based on information. It's not based on knowledge of stuff. Trust is actually based on a person. Trust is earned. It's relational. Earned over time. Proven through actions. It's between people. Even though Peter and the 12, they don't understand everything Jesus just said either. But they do know who Jesus is. They walked with him. They lived with him. They shared meals with him. They trusted him. You know, all the gospels have a moment in the gospel where it's like all in. Are you all in or are you not all in on Jesus? And this is the moment in John. Are you all in or are you not all in? Peter and the 12 are all in on Jesus. They have a million questions and they're going to keep asking them throughout the whole course of their story and life with Jesus. But they're all in. No turning back for them. So, what about us? How do we answer the question? How do you answer the question? Leave or stay? You know, it takes some trust to accept bread from somebody that offers it to you. Somebody offers you a piece of bread, you got to decide, am I going to take this from this person? Do I trust them? It takes some degree of trust to take a piece of bread. It takes even more trust to listen to what that person says and follow their advice. It takes even more trust, a whole lot of trust, to follow someone when you can't see the twists and turns on the road in front of you. And it takes an all-in kind of trust to put your whole life into someone else's hands. And it's the same with our faith. It's one thing to enjoy fellowship at church. That takes some degree of trust. It's a bit more to read Jesus' teachings, and it's a bit more to follow his example, and it's an all-in move to believe that Jesus is God and to trust him with your life and your future and your very soul. Yes, there is mystery, no doubt. There is so much that we don't know. The word became flesh is a mystery. How did that happen? How can God become a person and live among us? It's a mystery. It's a wonder. It's more than we can wrap our minds around. I'm actually like so glad that God does things that we can't understand, that we can't wrap our minds around, that he's able to do beyond me. Now we know in part, one day we'll know in full. Here's one thing that I think we can know. The Word became human flesh, which I think is pretty significant. God didn't come to us, God didn't have to come to us at all, but when God did pull back the curtain and wanted to come rescue us, God came to us as a human being of all things. Of all the ways God could engage the world, of all the ways God could have revealed himself, God came as a human being, as one of us. So the mechanism, like how the incarnation works, remains a mystery totally beyond us. But the final result, a human being walking this earth, that is knowable for us. Jesus is God and a human that we can recognize, a human we can have a relationship with, a creature in whom we can see ourselves even. When God says, I have the words of eternal life, those words come to us through a human voice. And when God looks at us, he does so with human eyes. God cried human tears and felt human pain and shed human blood. Jesus is the wonder. And Jesus invites us into him, into the wonder, right in the middle of it. In him is life, he says. And we cannot measure it, and we cannot explain it, and we cannot fully understand it, but we can have it. In him is life. Stay or leave? I really like Peter's answer. I don't know where else to go. I don't know where else to go. Everything I've read and seen and experienced with Jesus says that he can be trusted, that he is trustworthy. And there are going to be other times when we don't get it. There are going to be times when we don't understand. There are going to be times when we don't agree. And in those moments when they come, we can look up and we can see Jesus, very human Jesus, saying, trust me. Trust me, even when things are hard. Trust me, even as we see the cross looming. Trust me, even when it's confusing. Trust me, when it's painful. Trust me through the confusion. Trust that I will bring you to the other side, to life that is imperishable, to a feast that will satisfy your soul, to the home that I'm preparing for you. Trust me, Jesus says. Of all the questions that we don't know the answer to, the one that matters most is the one that we can't answer. Do we trust Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we um, can't always follow you. We can't always see and understand what you see and understand. And sometimes it's hard to admit that. And sometimes it's confusing, and sometimes it gives us pause. And sometimes we need a moment to reflect and think. We are thankful that you give us that moment, that you let us choose, that you let us ask the questions, and that you're not uncomfortable or disappointed or angry at us when we do. Lord, so give us the courage to be honest about the things we don't understand. Give us the curiosity to come to you with those questions, to come to each other with our questions, whether they're about the way the world works or about something that's happened to us personally. And Lord, even when we can't figure it all out, even when we can't see around the corner, even when we can't decipher and categorize and understand and diagnose what's going on, in those moments, Jesus, help us to trust you In this passage, you say that the Lord, the Father, calls and draws people to Christ. And so draw us close to you. Help us to trust, even when we can't see. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.